Hello, friends. We are interrupting Healing Hearts to remind you April is not just a month. It's a call to action. This month, we celebrate Volunteer Appreciation and Child Abuse Prevention Month, recognizing those who give their time and hearts to protect our most vulnerable. Every child deserves a life filled with love, safety, and normalcy. But sadly, not every child experiences this. That's where we, as a community, step in. Our amazing volunteers are the unsung heroes working tirelessly to advocate for children's well-being. They're the voices that speak up, the hands that reach out, and the hearts that care deeply. But the fight against child abuse needs much more than just appreciation. It needs action. This April, we invite you to participate in our efforts to protect children, provide them with the normalcy they deserve, and advocate for their rights. Visit www.speakupforkidspbc.org to find out what you can do to amplify the voices of our volunteer advocates. Remember to engage with us on social media. Participate and protect because every child deserves a champion and that champion could be you. Now, Back to Healing Hearts. When he was at residential, his eyes were dark. We knew something wasn't right. But after a few weeks, I noticed in our visits and pictures that his eyes were becoming brighter. And I asked one of his therapists, I said, what is going on? She said, he's learning to like himself. Hey there, friend. Welcome to Healing Hearts, where we understand the challenges of parenting children with behavioral, developmental, or emotional divergence. If you've ever struggled with fear, uncertainty, exhaustion, isolation, or even feelings of guilt along your parenting path, we get it. Here, it's all about guiding you through the highs and lows of raising kids who need equal parts love, patience, and empathy. Our approach is a little different. Healing Hearts was created and continues to be hosted by dynamic high school and college students who consider the support of vulnerable or at-risk children and their families critical to student success. What can you expect from us? Encouragement and honest talk with terrific guests, sharing relatable stories and smart tips to make your journey smoother. We also focus on parents and children's mental and emotional health because it's vital. You'll get simple, effective strategies to keep you strong and positive because parenting is a heroic act. And when advice isn't enough, we point you towards extra help and resources. Stay with us, tune in, and let's take this journey together. We are here to back you up, boost your spirits, and help you confidently face each day. Welcome to the Healing Hearts family. We are so happy to have you here. We are delighted to welcome Tim Maudlin, adoptive parent, ambassador of encouragement, and creator and host of the Anchors of Encouragement podcast, a safe space filled with affirmations and the help parents may need to get through tough times. He lives out his mission to throw a lifeline to adoptive parents. Since 2022, Tim has shared personal stories, tools, and tips to overcome grief and trauma and empower parents to give grace to their children while being kind to themselves. Welcome, Tim. Thank you so much for joining Healing Hearts. Thank you, Sophia. I'm really excited to be here and share what little I can help with with your mission to 
you know, help these kids with trauma. So thank you for having me. Of course. So to start off, we would love if you could share your background and experience as an adoptive parent and what prompted you to start your podcast, Anchors of Encouragement. Sure. We have two adoptive sons and we adopted both boys at birth. One, we were at the hospital just before he was born and we took him home the next day. The other, we were a couple, two or three days after he was born, but basically we adopted two newborns. That was the result of years first going through infertility, and then we decided to pursue this adoption plan. And so we had some trauma in our lives based upon what we had been through, my wife and I. And we decided to adopt, went through all the home study stuff, and thought we were prepared. But early on with my oldest, we detected something was a little different with him. And we really couldn't put our finger on it. We asked other parents. We sought their advice. You know, parents that were further along in their parenting journeys than we were. We sought their advice. We sought professionals trying to figure out what was going on because his behavior was just erratic. That's kind of the best way to put it. Nothing we tried as a parent really seemed to work with him. And it kept escalating to the point when he was 17 that it became necessary to send him to residential treatment. And that was kind of the gut punch for my wife and I because we felt that we had failed him. We had tried everything, had done our due diligence to the best of our ability, but still here we were leaving him in a place with total strangers to try to help him get help that we couldn't, obviously couldn't give him. So that was the part that led me to this podcast because there were some things we discovered uh, while he was in residential that I've tried to incorporate into the podcast to help other adoptive parents. And one of the things that we discovered is that, as I said, we adopted him in his, at birth. Gone through our home studies, we had talked to him about his adoption. He always knew he was adopted. But the thing we found out at residential was that he didn't like himself. And he had been showered with love from day one. I mean, we were so excited to have him in our family and to parent him. And we had friends and family who were excited for him. But yet there was something that was missing. There was a hole in his heart that we didn't know about. And when he was at residential, his eyes were dark. We knew something wasn't right. But after a few weeks, I noticed in our visits and pictures that his eyes were becoming brighter. And I asked one of his therapists, I said, what is going on? She said, he's learning to like himself. And that was just like for my wife and I, we said, he didn't like himself. We couldn't understand why, because again, we had loved him the whole way through. But to find out that he didn't like himself, that was just one of the, the final straw. We said, oh no, what has happened? And that's when we began to learn about the concept of adoption trauma. And typically, I thought a trauma was something that you would experience after you're born. Something happens to you. But there's trauma that can happen to a baby while they're still in the womb. And that's what happened to him. And so he was suffering from adoption trauma that was stuff that he couldn't even verbalize because it happened to him before he was even born. And that's where I've tried to help adoptive parents understand that possibility you know, all adoptions have trauma in them to some extent. The, everyone goes into them with the best intentions, but the child gets hurt. Regardless, the child is hurt. And that's what I try to encourage adoptive parents to, how they navigate some of these challenges that 
parenting children with adoption trauma, especially to the level my son had, to help them navigate this journey. Thank you. I noticed that when you were talking, you brought up the fact that you adopted two sons. And I was wondering how that relationship was between your two sons, and especially since I assume only one had to go to residential treatment, how that sort of impacted the family dynamic. Well, as I've told to others, it was not easy for my youngest son to be the brother because my wife and I lived it. He lived it too, and it wasn't easy for him. Now, as far as the podcast goes, I have permission from my oldest to discuss his life, his trauma. I have not asked, and nor do I talk about my youngest son, other than the fact that he was going through this when we were going through it, and he wouldn't be upset with me saying it wasn't easy for him either. But I primarily talk about the oldest. But suffice it to say, I know how hard it was for my wife, and I know it was difficult for my son. You know, And part of that is because as adults, even though you don't understand it, you can start to process a little bit better. But as a child, having experienced that, that's a whole other dynamic that I really can't comprehend. And so it was, it was difficult. But it's been a journey. And my youngest is a good friend. And so he wants to look out for his brother too. So touching upon that journey aspect of it, is there any part of your journey that you believe sort of exemplifies the complexities or triumphs that you've encountered, particularly focusing on an aspect often labeled as at risk? Yeah, the thing with trauma, unless you're educated with it, and you know, my oldest is 23 now. So 24 years ago, when we were going through our home studies, this stuff wasn't discussed. It's just more recently that people and professionals are starting to address it. So it wasn't discussed for us. And that's why when you're going through it, you don't understand what's happening. You just know something's going on. Now, what I have learned since then is that negative behavior, and that's really what we were experiencing with my oldest, there was negative behavior that discipline parenting did not seem to correct, even though we were trying to correct it in different ways. But negative behavior is in direct proportion to the pain the child is in. We didn't know that. Now, looking back, we can start to connect the dots and go, oh, that makes sense now. And so to help adoptive parents, when you see a child misbehaving, now I don't attribute all negative behavior to adoption trauma, but some definitely is. And when that is a part of your life, that there's negative behavior, you have to look, there must be a root cause. What is the pain that they're in? How can you help address that pain? That's part of the journey too, is how you can help them navigate through their pain. Because as I said earlier, all adoption involves trauma to some extent. There's a hole in the heart. There's something that's missing for those kids because of the adoption. And again, it was, it was done with the best of intentions. Unfortunately, that's what happens. I think you've talked about adoption trauma, but what are some of the ways that it could present itself, like ways that you sort of realized that there was a different type of behavior between your son and other children? That's a good question because looking back now in hindsight, you can see that our son 
was born in that fight or flight mode. And he seemed to, especially with my wife, she noticed this, that he seemed to always cling to her. That seems natural to some extent, but it, it can also manifest itself in some maybe extreme ways where he, he was afraid to be alone. Or with behavior, we would correct him, but it, it just didn't seem to take. And I don't know, sometimes that could be manifested like behavior, I'm talking about lying per se. That is something that we notice. A lot of kids will lie, but some kids, like with the trauma, it seems to be a little more intense. And that's one of the things we had to, to deal with. It's just this a whole idea of the pain that they're in. What is that causing them to do? And because he was wired, and this is in the utero stuff, is he was wired with the chemicals that were going through his, his mother's body because, and I can share this, because he's given me permission. You know, her pregnancy wasn't easy for her. And because of that, I'm not going to get into more details than that, but just suffice it to say, her pregnancy wasn't easy. There was conflict. Well, he absorbed all that. And so that's why he's in that fight or flight mode. That's why he might cling to his mother more than maybe is normal, or he's afraid to be left alone. Anxiety can be present a lot with these children as well. And they really don't get it either. Why am I so anxious? Why do I not fit in? You know, why do I always feel like there's something going on? And, you know, with my son, he's got some other challenges. He's ADHD. So marry that with everything else. He has some unique things he has to process. As I've told him, none of this is an excuse. You can navigate this. There's ways I can help you navigate this. Some of these things that you might think is um, a negative in your life can be your greatest asset. And so that's one of the things we try to do too. So when you realized a lot of these different ways that adoption trauma can present itself, how were you able to make the decision to go to residential treatment? Or was that the first step that you took? Oh, no. No, we tried for years to get him help. As I said earlier, we talked to parents. I don't know how many parents we talked to, people who had older children. We even had individuals in our home, and we would say, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What could we do differently? Nothing worked, but we also had professionals evaluate him. We had a professional at the local school do an IEP on him. And looking back now, I go, he caught it. We didn't know what to do with it. But he said we were at like DEFCOM 4, whatever the, the last term is before things erupt. He says, you're at that point. He says, he loves you. This has got to be addressed. And we kept trying to get it addressed. And so after that, I know we went to a therapist. And, you know, I'm not going to mention names. I don't even remember the guy's name anymore. But my son, as I said, he had some issues with telling the truth. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And he he's very, very smart. He would go into a 30 to 40 minute session with this guy and he could hold his own he could buffalo somebody for 30 to 40 minutes and I remember this guy had to be good at what he did for certain kids but he wasn't qualified to take on my son I remember one session the guy came out and says we had a really good session he was one-on-one with my son we walk out the door and my son says that guy's an idiot because he just played him he played him the whole time. The guy thought, oh, we really made accomplishments here, progress. It wasn't until residential that he was under 24-7 care that 
they peeled back the onion and they understood. First of all, they understood adoption trauma. What got us to residential was after all those failures, it got to the point, and I'm not going to elaborate on the specifics, but it became a safety issue because he's 17. He's as big as I am. And when he was in that pain, the behavior became manifested in ways that weren't safe. He's talked about it on the podcast with me. It's stuff that he's apologized to us about. When it became a safety issue, and that was the last straw. And we found out through some other friends about this residential treatment place, and that's where he went. And I know when we were going through our visits there, he was at residential for six months. The uh, therapist would tell us we had a parent day before we could visit with him. All the parents had to, to go through some training. One of the things they told us is safety first. It's non-negotiable. Safety first. And I don't name names or anything here, but we heard stories from other adoptive parents and we thought we had it easy because we didn't have to do some of the things they had to do to stay safe. But still, it was a safety issue and that's why we ended up in residential. So while that was happening or even sort of after, what resources did you uncover or find most helpful? This is what's fascinating to me because earlier I said that when he went to residential, his eyes were dark and we saw anger. And we thought that anger was because of us, because he didn't like being parented the way he was being parented. That was part of it, but that wasn't the main part. When the therapist told us that he didn't like himself and that he was learning to like himself for the first time in his life, I said, well, what's going on here at residential that we weren't able to help him with for 17 years? And she said, he's journaling. And I said, he's doing what? I remember it just like floored me because he was homeschooled. My wife homeschooled both boys. And whenever he had a writing assignment, he would start to cry. He just hated it. But at residential, 24-7, he was given, basically they took a pen and they took it apart and you only had the little cart, the rubber cartridge that held the ink because fortunately there could be some self-harm with some of these kids. So they had to write with just the very basic container for the ink and a piece of paper. And so he was writing and I said, I still don't understand this because, and this is my me and being a guy and being naive about journaling. I said, you've got to explain what's going on here because I don't understand this. And I never forgot what she told me. She says, you can think a feeling, you can speak a feeling, but if you want to touch a feeling, you need to write. I said, oh, okay, that makes sense. So he was touching feelings by journaling that he couldn't even put words to yet. Because as I said, his trauma was from the womb. He had a good upbringing. I mean, from the time we took him from the hospital, his life, and he'll tell you now, he said, I don't know how good I had it. Before that, there were things that happened to him that he couldn't put words to. But through journaling, and it might sound like, well, you're not making sense here. He's writing. Well, there's ways to write to start to touch feelings because you can start to ask yourself questions. And he was asked questions and he would take those prompts and write about them. But that's how he touched his feelings. That's how he learned to start writing. And to this day, he doesn't do it all the time. But the way he's morphed his journaling process is he likes to write song lyrics. And if you think about a lot of songs, they can be pretty emotional and pretty deep. 
And some of the stuff he's written, I've got one on my phone that uh, he sent me the other day, a lyric, and I said, that's pretty good, buddy. He He's touching those feelings. And so that's what he was able to do. That was probably the biggest thing that helped him in residential, I think. So how do you think this experience shaped your understanding or your approach to parenting? A couple of things, I think. The first I've already mentioned is to realize that the negative behavior is in direct proportion to the pain. That's the first one. And then the second one, and this is this is the hardest one, I think, is that when that negative behavior is directed toward you, it's easy to take it personally. It's anything but. The child will act out and you are the punching bag emotionally. And, you know, sometimes it can get to physical actions, but emotionally, you're the punching bag because you're the one closest to them. You're the one that loves them. They love you, but they feel safest with you and they tend to act out toward you more so than they would other people. It's easy to take that personally, but it's not personal. You're just the the most convenient person for them to react to. That's something that I try to, to tell other adoptive parents. I say, don't take it personal. It's not. My son has come back and said, I am so sorry for the way I treated you. It wasn't that he he didn't love us. We were told that early on. It was he didn't love himself. And he's trying to process all those emotions. And we're just the most convenient person to, to take it out on. So if I can tell adoptive parents one thing, just don't take it personally. When you get that mindset, and it's happened to me, and it's happened to my wife, when you get that mindset and you know it's not personal, that's when your parenting skills or your parenting, the drive you have as a parent kicks in. Whatever would, is natural for a parent. You know, when you see your kid fall and hurt themselves, they cut themselves or bruise themselves or whatever, your instincts kick in and you go to help them. Well, this is the same thing. Is you just can't see it because the pain is inside. But when you realize that it's not you, it's them that in pain, then you become more compassionate. You want to reach out and help them. You want to give them that hug that they need. But that's hard to get to unless you realize what's actually going on in their life. Thank you. We want to end on a sort of happy moment. So would you be able to share with our listeners your funniest moment in parenting? Oh, boy. That's a good question, too. Let's see. Funniest moment. You know, the thing is, this is a heavy topic. I'll tell you what. I made photo albums for the grandparent and as much as there was difficulties raising our oldest and having that trauma in the family we had a lot of good times too we had a lot of good times and i think the the funniest thing we had a lot of smiles because i think making their halloween costumes and having them you know go out i know he's like the you're too young for this but there was a show called the pretender where a guy who was so intelligent he could just assume any role he wanted to he could be a doctor one day he could be you know, a firefighter, he could be an astronaut, whatever he wanted to. My son's, he's off the, the charts intelligent. And he would just, anything he want, he gravitated towards, we tried to encourage. So, you know, we would make these Halloween costumes by hand. You know, that that's before you go buy them in the store. We just make our own. And that was one of the fun things is just doing that kind of stuff with him and, and having him go out. I know I can bring the youngest in here on this too, because we would make we would start on a Saturday morning, make the costume, and then go to a party that night. And so we had a lot of laughs, a lot of fun doing those types of things. If I could interject one other thing, the journaling that he did 
when I saw it work for him, I have incorporated that into my life. And for any adoptive parent who's going through, or any parent that's going through difficulties with their children or difficulties in their life, that stuff works. I mean, I was up early this morning doing it too. I try to do it every day. Some days it's not as long as others, but that process works. You can actually touch those feelings. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed by parenting or whatever, pen to paper will help get you through it. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the Healing Hearts podcast. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I hope maybe there's something that I've said will encourage other adoptive parents. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you found warmth and wisdom here to help you on your parenting odyssey. What is the best way to support us? Please subscribe, leave a review, and share Healing Hearts with anyone who could use this supportive community. Stay connected with us on social media or visit www.speakupforkidspbc.org for more information. Remember, a heart, like a garden, needs care to flourish. Until next time, you've been listening to Healing Hearts.